The reading of the Scriptures from Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 to 26. I invite your uh, reverent attention to the public reading of God's Word and your hearing in faith. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm sure all of you have uh, taken at some level of your educational experience a history course, and uh, generally uh, history books are numerous. I was always attracted uh, by Will Durant's um, Story of Civilization, if I recall the title. Uh, it was 11 volumes. Okay, I'll check that out and read 11 volumes. Uh, uh, very attracted to Winston Churchill's uh, History of the English-Speaking Peoples, four volumes, but again, man, that's a lot of history to read. Um, but it's interesting when you, uh, when you think of voluminous histories and their numerous volumes. Uh, Moses here gives us the history of civilization in a few verses. All of history uh, are in these verses before us this morning. Specifically, the physical and spiritual clash between the sons of God and the sons of the world, or the sons of Cain. Not always a physical clash, but certainly it's a spiritual one. And both are here in our text this morning. And it is a reminder that the spirit of Cain, who was a murderer, is alive and well in our country. And thanks be to God, so is the Holy Spirit alive and well too, working in the hearts of the sons of God. So let's look at the history of civilization here in these texts. Uh, essentially, the sons of Cain are without God and defiant of God. Verses 17 to 24. But the sons of redemption call upon God for help. Verses 25 and 26. So Moses begins with the uh, genealogy of Cain, 
much of the book of uh, Genesis is a listing of uh, genealogies. Uh, Cain's life is a tragic life because he was driven from the presence of God and because of his hatred and violence uh, that caused him to kill his brother. I think of his snide comment to the Lord God, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, well, of course, uh, the history of the sons of God is, is that we are, we do, it's what we live. Uh, the sons of Cain perpetuate the defiance of God with an apparent advantage over the sons of God. Uh, so Cain has a son, and how do you think he's going to live? Well, just like his father, in defiance of God. We know nothing of his wife, but she is obviously aligned with Cain. Have a son, his name is Enoch. In defiance of the curse, Cain builds a city and names his city after his son. While defiant, the spiritual reality remains that he is a perpetual vagabond and wanderer because he is without God. That is his essential history. He is a man without God. He wants to perpetuate his memory, verse 17. Most men do, but it's ultimately it's a folly because all glory is fleeting. Remind you of uh, the Psalter, Psalm 49. Verses 11 and 12. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names, the psalmist says. But man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. Verses 18 and 19. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers, and they shall never see the light. In and of itself, those four verses are history of the sons of Cain. You don't have to buy a lot of volumes. The scriptures tell us their end and their beginning. We, we too uh, live in cities, but we are pilgrims passing through. It's a very important for a reminder that uh, this world where God has placed us is not our home. We're pilgrims. Uh, we don't give a lot of thought to living uh, a physical heritage behind. We want a spiritual heritage. Uh, we want to be engaged in turning men and women to righteousness, advancing the Scriptures, uh, for that is our peculiar calling. Uh, it's interesting that Moses takes us to the seventh generation in Lamech. Uh, verse 19, he takes two wives. Uh, this too is an act of defiance against God. Because the model is Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. One wife is a gift from God. So Lamech dilutes his love and his affection for himself and his partners. Again, it is an act of utter defiance against God, what he does. 
He has no thought, no concern whatsoever. Our reminder is Ephesians 5.28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Who loves his own wife loves himself. In contrast to the love of the sons of Cain and the heritage that they leave, have left. Lamech cares nothing about God's moral code. He lives in defiance of it. Isn't it interesting that our present day culture in America is dismantling this model as well? But that's what the sons of Cain do. So the spirit of Cain is alive and well, tragically. And it will come at an incredibly high cost to them. In their current lives, they care nothing about it at all. Because they're a law in and to themselves. But the scriptures tell us, conversely, they will pay a high price. Because soft words like inclusion and loving and accepting everybody, regardless of their lifestyles, will come with an eternal cost. Many illustrations of this in the great warning passages of the Scripture remind you of one, Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says to church at Ephesus, uh, walk in love. Walk in love. True love. The love of God. But the world has its counterfeit for that love in the passions of immorality, in rebellion against God. Here's their end, verse 5. For this you know with certainty, no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. They will be excluded. They will be denied entrance into the eternal form of the kingdom of God. So the sons of Cain think that they are lawless and will pay no price. They will pay the highest price imaginable. Like their forefather Cain, they will be driven from the presence of God. East, far, far east from Eden. We don't think in those terms. We should. We must. Because they are a warning to us about our own lifestyles. Because while the spirit of Cain is alive and well and working in the sons of rebellion, the spirit of the living God is at work too. Lamech's sons have their own uh, version of the cultural mandate of Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Go, expand, if you will, the, the glory of the presence of God. They begin industry in the arts. They make tents, musical instruments, and forge metal. It's an expression of God's common grace. Uh, he enables them to prosper in His common grace that they might make a living even though they live for themselves and care no thought whatsoever about eternity. Uh, Bruce Walke says of them, it is civilization without God. 
It's the great tragedy of the sons of Cain that are present in our own culture today. Uh, resurrecting a civilization that is essentially crumbling because it is without God. And that's what the sons of Cain do. The spirit that is alive and well. The sons of disobedience. Very interesting, conversely, as we progress through the book of Genesis, uh, we will learn that the sons of Abraham are always building altars to worship God. Sons of Cain are building cities and putting their names on them. And all come to naught. Uh, we build altars to worship the one true God, to expand His presence. Because that is what the sons of the Spirit of God do. Uh, verses 23 to 24, Lamech sings a song of hatred to his two wives. He commemorates that he is like his forefather Cain. Uh, in our theology, uh, original sin produces an entire inclination to evil and an entire absence of holiness. Uh, this man displays it in a song. He wants it memorialized in tribute to revenge. Now look at the latter part of verse 23. For I've killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. I take the parallelism to be synonymous. Lamech was wounded by a strike. He answers with murder. It is a parallel, of course, to um, Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. It came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So this man makes a song. It's like our radio stations. Top songs go at the top of the charts. It was the top of the charts of his day. Memorializing revenge and hatred. The essence of uh, the sons of Cain. Uh, he brags that his protection is tenfold plus. Don't mess with me because I'm immune from retribution. It's a denial of God. There is no God. There's no moral governor. So men take revenge to protect themselves. It's very interesting. We are reading here, of course, in Genesis chapter 4, ancient, ancient history. It's really living history. Think of our own culture. Great cities like New Orleans, New York City, murder capital of the world. Wow. What an acclamation to be known such. The lawlessness that's incredible. That's what the sons of Cain do. Particularly when civil governors, Romans chapter 13, deny their true calling from God. The reason that God has placed them on the earth to keep order, to protect life. When they care little about their duty before God, because to them there is no God. That's what happened. Lawlessness increases. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy. Apostle Paul is giving us in uh, four verses uh, a measure of the history of the sons of Cain. 
that exist today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. We're in those days. The times have come, broken upon us. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, gossips, pardon me, without self-control, brutal. Notice how he ends. Haters of God. How did he begin? Lovers of self. How does he end? Haters of God. Think about it. How can the sons of God survive and prosper in the midst of such violence and lawlessness? They're at a disadvantage. We can't respond the way the sons of Cain do. So what, what are we to do in this disadvantaged moral perversity in our culture? Well, verses 25 and 26. Moses shifts to the spiritual progeny of Adam and Eve. Uh, Eve uh, gives birth to a son in place of Abel because Cain killed him. And she has faith that God will raise up a godly line that will ultimately defeat and crush the serpent. So her faith is, is in the hopefulness of the Word of God. That God will crush the spirit of hatred and bring it to defeat. His name is Seth from the verb meaning that God appointed him. What a great reminder of her faithfulness. Even though she is now a fallen son, she is a faithful son and been recovered by the blood of a sacrifice. God appointed my son. It's a great reminder to all of us. In many ways, each of us as Christians have a nickname, Seth. God appointed us to be here. To live out differently than the sons of Cain. So that God is reconstituting His sons in the midst of violence and rebellion. Notice, notice what they do. Latter part of verse 26. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. One progeny cares nothing about God sings a song of violence and hatred. The other calls upon the name of God. It is the very point that they need help. In the midst of all of this violence of the sons of Cain, they need a protector. And so they call upon the name of the Lord. Now, the name is a reference to the character, the identity, and the attributes of God who protects His own and loses none that are given to him. It's a reminder that theology is so radically important in our daily lives. Illustrations of this all over the book of Genesis, let's just simply turn to 2. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 8. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Chapter 13, verse 4. To the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abraham, Abram, pardon me, called upon the name of the Lord. It's what the sons of God do. 
They worship God. They call upon Him in faith so that faithfully they can live out the mandate that God has given to them. Uh, the odds uh, seemingly are against us, but God plus one is a majority anywhere, anytime, any place. The hatred of Cain grows strong in men like Lamech, but God is our help in our eternal home. Psalm 34, 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. I'm particularly fond of verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. And I, I know the feeling. Sometimes we feel all alone. But the angel of the Lord camps upon those who fear the Lord. Psalm 145.18 The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. To all who call upon Him in truth. I'll remind you very quickly, um, we hear a lot in the churches about men and women calling upon the name of the Lord. Um, certainly, uh, that is the right thing to do. But you can never do it properly if it's absent the truth. In contrast to the sons of Cain, we too have a city. Uh, the author of the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 10, tells us that the builder and architect is God. Hebrews 11.10 For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Meaning, it can never be destroyed. Its foundation will never crack. The wind will never blow its roof away. Because the builder and architect is God. It is upon that city that we hope and long. Like our forefather Abraham, we too are looking for this city as aliens in a foreign land. Uh, I love the beauty of Hebrews 11.16. As it is, they desire a better country, that is, the heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Hope of all of us. He has prepared this city for us. And John tells us it will come for us. Turn to the last book in the Bible. Uh, second to last chapter. Revelation 21.2 And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And as important, we forsake the spirit of the sons of Cain, for nothing unclean will enter that city. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Reading verse 27 of Revelation 21. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, 
but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The grace of God, who in eternity past is decreed as elect and goes throughout all of the history of civilization gathering them. by His grace for the city that He has prepared for us. Interesting, you look at a lot of the cities of the world, they're losing uh, losing their population. When you, when you look at their murder rate and their crime rate, uh, you kind of wonder why. People have to flee. You and I have a city that's immovable. We will flee to it. Spiritually, it is our place of safety. And our marriages are mirrors of the marriage between the Lamb and His bride, the church. As He was faithful and true to the end, we so aspire. And so the world seemingly advances by hatred and revenge and uh, greed. Uh, we know that love never fails. That is what we advance. And that is how we win. More importantly, our Redeemer came into the kingdom of this world to rescue us. Uh, he bound its God to plunder His kingdom, to gather us to Himself. A very beautiful reminder of these very words in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 29. Uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees have uh, placed Christ to be in league with the devil. He answers them, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house? He came into the world that belongs to the Spirit of Cain. Plunders his house of the elect. The grace of God. And all of the strife of the present world we overcome because greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. 1 John 4.4 4. And while the world has common grace, thank God it does, we have efficacious and irresistible grace. That Christ is our victor and this is our victory. A grace that will woo us and win us for the kingdom. A picture of this if you turn in your Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 65. The text begins with a gathering of the people of God. It's really a reference of the calling of God to the Gentiles. I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation that did not call upon my name. In other words, God enables them in His sovereign grace and power to awaken them. The history of that is found in the book of Acts. Parallel, the great awakening. 
The sons of Cain have a great awakening. So tragic. Which men descend into chaos and confusion because they attempt to copy the divine creation and blessing. But our blessings will be realized. Theirs will vanish like the vapor and the wind and the smoke that will be blown away. Look at the last two verses. Isaiah 65. It will come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. And the wolf and the lamb shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. And they shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. That's our heritage. Greatest city of all time. The point of the metaphorical language is um, before they call, I will answer, telling us that our every need will be met. In other words, we won't have to ask. God knows. It's like we begin to ask and it already shows up. The grace of God. Profoundly incredible that is the heritage of the sons of the Spirit. The sons of Cain will be driven out of the city east forever and ever. We will enter triumphantly. Our every want and need addressed, hatred vacated by perpetual peace, and never again will we fail. It's our heritage. Let me compress the history of civilization in the world even more so. We've talked about the sons of Cain and sons of the Spirit. Two civilizations. God's will win. And we will win in Him. I trust if you are here this morning and you know not this God, His help, His provision, His faithfulness, His mercy, His kindness, and His ultimate heritage for His people, a city whose builder and maker is God. But that God will give you no rest or peace until you go to Him and seek His favor through the merits of His Son, Jesus Christ. The great hope of the Gospel. That of all the sin and violence and hatred and corruption of morality, God has an answer in His Son uh, who shed His blood, a ransom for many, to escape the violence of eternal judgment because that judgment fell upon the eternal Son. And all who are in Him are safe and will never ever face it. As the hymn that we sang so beautifully declared, He will hold us fast. The world has no such hope. We have the best and the brightest. As you know, it's the first Sunday of the month. It's our tradition to partake of the Lord's table. That is a beautiful expression of uh, the essence of the gospel. The table, uh, in a measure, not entirely and completely, uh, is a reminder of 
the Passover lamb that was sacrificed by the children of Israel. Uh, that as they posted the blood upon doorposts of their homes, uh, the angel of death would pass over. And those who are marked by the blood of the lamb, the angel of death, passes over our lives. It will gather all who know not that blood. And we come to remember that blood that was shed for us. Um, the blood of the Lamb. Uh, because our Savior supplants the old with the new. Reminding us of our redemption from spiritual slavery and the tyranny of the devil. His power which He plunders His house and gathers us out. and forever sealed and protected against the spiritual forces arrayed against us. Uh, again, it signifies uh, that our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. The table signifies the benefits of all of the blessings of the new covenant. Uh, it's not that we are eating and drinking something. That is, that is not the point at all. It's the faith by which we apprehend what Christ did for us and the benefits that accrue to us. That eating the eternal bread, we will live forever. Drinking the cup of the new covenant means that we will celebrate the reality of Isaiah 65, verses 24 and 25. Start with reminder of the bread and the importance that we come properly. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 28 enjoins us to examine ourselves, to discern uh, the elements that represent the sacrifice of Christ. So we come to the elements in faith and repentance, not willy-nilly. It's not a physical event. It's a spiritual reality pretending all the benefits of the cross that He won for us. I remind you of the Heidelberg Catechism, question 81. For whom is the supper instituted? For those who are truly sorrowful for their sins and yet trust that these are forgiven for the sake of Christ and that their remaining infirmities are covered by His passion and death and who also earnestly desire to have their faith more and more strengthened and their lives more and more holy. Great, great reminder. Christ is our sacrifice who wins for us this greatest of all possible prizes. Here at Grace Bible Church, this is an open communion. It is open to all who confess Christ and have been baptized and who are not under uh, church discipline, who are not living in known sin for which they are unrepentant. That's why we begin our services with a time which we call a confessional. Uh, because God's people are forgiven. Our hope is in Him. But we keep short accounts with God. Lest sin take root and take hold and become a disease within us. Belgic confession of faith speaks to the bread. With the support of the spiritual and heavenly life which believers have, He has sent them the living bread which came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ who nourishes and sustains the spiritual life of the believers 
when he is eaten by them, that is spiritually appropriated received by faith. As the bread is served to you, I ask that you hold it until which time we are all served. And then we will pray and partake together to manifest the unity of our church, a unity forged by the death and resurrection of our Redeemer. Because we don't become one by ourselves. He makes us one by His sovereign power and grace. Let's prepare our hearts to uh, partake of the bread. There is certainly, of course, as the bread is being passed, or you have an occasion to uh, pray for something you need to deal with it and get about it, it's important. It's also a time, I think, to celebrate the grace of God and the gift of eternal manna that's come down out of heaven to provide for the people of God in their journey and sojourning as pilgrims uh, through this earth which we live. Let's prepare our hearts for the taking of the bread. Our Father, we're thankful for uh, the bread that reminds us uh, that our Savior gave His life a ransom, the one for the many. He was punished in great violence that we might escape, that believing and hoping in Him, uh, appropriating His power and His strength, we will live forever. And we will enter that city whose builder and maker is God. Uh, Strengthen us, Lord, with uh, this spiritual bread. Quicken our step to this great city. Quicken our ears to hear, to follow, to believe, to trust, and to know that He is always with us. And we partake in faith, Lord, giving Thee thanks for Thy goodness to us, though profoundly undeserving because of the work of the Son of God and because of thy faithfulness to his people. And these things we ask in the name of Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Uh, the wine, I, rem- I remind you that as uh, service is passed in the center of the service, there is wine and the there's grape juice. Each may partake in the freedom of their own traditions and conscience. But uh, more importantly, reading from the Belgic Confession of Faith, Christ testifies to us that it certainly is take and hold the sacrament in our hand and eat and drink it with our mouths by which our physical life is then sustained. So certainly we receive by faith as the hand and mouth of the soul, the body and blood of Christ our Savior in our souls for spiritual life. Again, service is past. There is occasion to engage the Lord in silent prayer. Please hold the cup until which time all are served, and I will pray and we will partake together as a reminder that the blood of Christ, death and resurrection, makes us one and keeps us one in His sovereign goodness and mercy to us. So let's prepare our hearts to partake of the cup of the new covenant. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are profoundly grateful that our Savior drank the cup of judgment so that we can drink the cup of celebration and joy and thanksgiving. And we do so by faith, celebrating our Savior, His death and His resurrection, acknowledging all that He's won for us, essentially life everlasting, world without end, in the presence of the greatness of the one true God, who makes every provision for His people, will satisfy their every desire, 
in the eternities. May we, once again, as we partake, be strengthened, uh, quench our thirst, remind us that we are to be different. We live for a different world, a world which is to come. In the interim time, may we be reminded to, to walk by faith and not by sight. And quicken our steps, Lord, for thy faithful coming. And in the prayer of uh, the Apostle John, come quickly. And these things we ask in the name of our great Savior, even Christ. Amen.